Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 98, where we chat with Eric. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. Hi there, Eric. So who are you? (laughs) Um, uh, Hi, I'm I'm Eric. I'm uh, 38. I'm a white cis uh, man. I'm a queer person relatively recently, uh, having discovered that identity. And I am, I usually say solo polyamorous, but I fit somewhere between the bounds of polyamory and swinging, really, with my practice. So what does polyamory and or swinging or this sort of liminal space between and in both uh, mean to you? So it's definitely been interesting because when I started uh, first leaving monogamy and exploring non-monogamy, I was definitely one of the people who used polyamory as a blanket term to describe the entire thing. It was how I was seeing it used. It sort of made sense. And um it was only through conversations with another friend who really started feeling that although they were emotionally and, and romantically uh, monogamous, that they still wanted to be non-monogamous in other capacities and kind of discussed uh, with them more how poly is not necessarily appropriate for all types of non-monogamy, right? Polyamory to me is specifically that you're carrying on multiple emotional and romantic relationships with uh, at the same time where non-monogamy would be there's lots of types of connections where it's more casual it's more physical and that stays within those bounds so what drew you to polyamory or ethical non-monogamy so i was in a monogamous marriage for 12 years that was very difficult um towards the end it was one of those things where as you know like we we had been friends forever and uh really kind of knew like this is a person that i respect a lot want to spend my life with but shortly after we uh started our relationship and we're going down those just kind of like the default monogamous um roles that everybody is told what they're supposed to do uh we found that our there were mismatches in both how we wanted to um, approach things physically and then over time also codependency patterns that we hadn't really thought about right um so being the person who uh wanted more physical and sexual connection i was the one who said well you know this is my partner they don't want to be as as physical and sexual as as i do so my only option really is to take care of that, address that, my own needs, right? Um, and so I developed a very extensive fantasy life that 
ended up being the majority of my sex life for all those years. And I had kind of gotten into a social group through a, a video game that I was playing where it just so happened that there was kind of an overlap with the poly community. And through that social group found, oh, wow, there's at first it was like people do this in real life. That's so bizarre. I can't believe it. Um, this isn't just a letters to penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and then through seeing how their relationships were functioning compared to how my marriage was really struggling, I saw a ton of benefits to the the intellectual approach and emotional approach of not asking your partner to be responsible for your needs, to not ask your partner to be everything for you and to get things where you needed them. And obviously, a lot of that was informed by that physical deficiency that I was feeling, but um, it what really made me like pursue it was this um that that change in approach i think so uh it took a long time i tried i i knew i had read all of the things in advance i knew that you can't really come into polyamory expecting it to fix anything and so i was like well first step we're gonna we're gonna work on this marriage and get it to a place where um we're both feeling safer and healthier and then i can talk about getting needs addressed and we can talk about practicing scary things. Um, and we never got to that point because it was just too much of a change for my monogamous partner. And I see all the time in polyamorous communities and conversations like, how do I, how do I talk to my monogamous partner about changing our relationship into non-monogamy? And I mean, obviously it's informed by my own experience, but like, I really don't think that enough people realize how much of a deal breaker conversation that is. They think like, oh, we could, we'll just talk about it. And then if it, if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But like, I, I do think we need to take those conversations with deadly seriousness because that is not what the monogamous person signed up for necessarily. And it's not always fair to them how we try to say, hey, this isn't how I feel. I want a relationship to work anymore. So it was a- And it may just be a thing where they're like, yeah, no, this right. is- I'm not That's, doing that. Which, that is what happened to me? Me too. Uh, yeah. My marriage was only 11 years, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I joke, but yeah, I mean, that was, yeah. and I knew when we got married, like everything was crystal clear that that was not on the table. And mm. unfortunately over time, a lot of other things came off the table too. And right. like, um, I'm not ready to have my whole sex life be in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And I really struggled at that point. I fully made the decision. Like, actually, this isn't what I want to do. I, I don't want to do it if it's going to mean sacrificing my marriage. So I'm just going to go without. And um, it had come enough to a head at that point that my um, co-parent is now how I describe that relationship, mm -hmm. um, essentially said, actually no this you have made your decision like this isn't going to work and that's clear to me which in retrospect was probably the right decision yeah that's tough that is yeah. tough um so what if anything do you find difficult now about being actively polyamorous or actively engaged in ethical non-monogamy i think it's hard not to say yes to everything or not to want to say yes to everything not to give away all of your time to this new fun thing, this thing that I'm going to do this day and pack your schedule so full of 
all really great and fun things that you feel completely wore out. You're not doing the maintenance around your house. You're not doing your self-care. Um, like that I think has been, has been one of my bigger struggles of, uh, I've always been somebody who thought that we, uh, how to describe it. Like if I have a reason for something, makes perfect sense. I totally get it. Um, but all of my own boundaries feel like, um, uh, just something that I've created. I'm like, well, I wrote that rule. I can rewrite it. You know, I just set that boundary for myself. I can just move it if I need to. Um, and then I do that until I don't have, I haven't given myself that self-care and then I'm stressed and anxious and yeah. So that's the thing I work on most. That makes sense. We've kind of gone into this a little bit, but maybe you didn't know during your marriage or maybe you did, but when did you feel that you weren't monogamous anymore or that you were maybe identifying as polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous? So, yeah, I mean, and I think because of that approach of spending so much time learning about it and and getting really interested in it and, and wanting to go that direction, but having the bounds of uh, a marriage that kind of kept me from practicing. I, I, I really do still feel, uh, for me anyway, that it's more of a practice than an identity that I, so to, I would say, you know, when we separated, uh, I left the house and then started doing dating. That was when I really became non-monogamous because for the first time I was not with just a single person. Um, when, if ever, did you feel differently from other people? Oh, um, that, so that's interesting because I I always felt that everyone was struggling all the time and just making the ethical choice, the right moral choice to not um, pursue all of the things that they were attracted to, not like go after those, the attractive person that you would see. And that everyone was just exercising restraint all the time, except for those people who were the, the bad people who don't do that. Bad and um, cheaters. Right, exactly. And so then in conversations with my co-parent, I came to find out that that was not what she was experiencing, that she actually was very comfortable where she was at. She wasn't like constantly um, looking, feeling tempted um, to pursue other connections. Um, so for a minute there, I, I felt different, but then so quickly found like, oh, wow, there's um, so many other people who also feel different. So where would you say you are in your poly journey? So where I'm at right now, I have three consistent partners and a number of casual connections. I think where I'm at is finding that long-term healthy balance between um, connected partner um, time, casual connection time, and self-care, uh, along with work and kids and all of the other things that needed to be, that were already in life and need to be balanced too. Um, I think finding that long-term balance is, is where I'm at right now. And, uh, I mean, so far it feels really good. Do you have any goals for that? Or, you know, is there somewhere you hope to sort of be like what, when you envision that balance, do you have an idea of what it looks like? I think at this point, it's going to be the, the proof is in the pudding. If the, if the relationships that I'm having are lasting and working and, growing over time, changing to fit needs, um, and that the challenges of it aren't too much for anybody to handle, um, then that will be success. And it's not so much that 
So in a way, I guess I would say I am where I hoped to go and I'm feeling good about that. But uh, I also we rewatch uh, Steven Universe every few uh, months. And it reminds me that uh, even every time you feel like you're at a plateau, that there's more growth to have and more things to learn. So um, I guess at this point, I'm waiting to see what those are going to be. Shout out to Steven Universe. Very queer. Very. I mean, I don't know if it's poly. I guess it probably is because there's a lot of people who are melding together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of gems. I love that show. Yeah. Um. So why do you think you are poly? Um, at this point, I'm poly because I want to uh, I want to make sure that I am not asking my partners to uh, meet all of my needs in a way that makes them try to perform something that they're not. And, uh, I'm, I'm expecting to do the same in return, right? That I provide what I can provide and I'm not, uh, expected to be somebody that I'm not. So I think keeping those two things in mind on both sides of the relationship, uh, will always be the reason that I'm poly. And why did you agree to be interviewed? Um, well, it sounded like fun, and I have I have been getting more and more into our subject matter here, and very kind of uh, I've, I've been getting more into the subject matter and interested to hear um, what I can contribute, I guess, to the conversation. Since so much of what I've been doing has been based on, like I said uh, before we started, the things that I lo- learned from this podcast, uh, amongst other places. So I, I would like to see that more of the sex positive, um, adult party adult event community moves in the direction of play parties over what has been traditionally available. And I hope that this is a part of that. Awesome. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about parties. <laughs> In the beginning, there was no name for it. The act was lumped in with general anal sex and general strap-on sex, but perhaps seeing a hole that needed filling, an online contest was held to name the act. When the dust had settled, the word was clear and the world was changed. Pegging, a sex act in which the pegger anally penetrates the peggy with a strap-on dildo. Authors Cooper S. Beckett and Lindsay Miller tackle all you've ever wanted to know about pegging. How do we do it? What are the right tools for the job? Does it actually feel good? I'm a straight guy. Will pegging make me gay? They answer these questions and also talk about safety, male anatomy, and the health benefits of being pegged. Beckett and Miller guide you through your experimentation with this most excellent act in a friendly and conversational fashion, showing you an in-depth look between the cheeks. The Pegging Book, a complete guide to anal sex with a strap-on dildo by Cooper S. Beckett and Lindsay Miller, published by Thornapple Press. Available for purchase on October 14th, 2022, where all books are sold. Find more information at thepeggingbook.com. And we are back talking to Eric today. Uh, and we want I really wanted to talk about parties. I've actually been getting a lot of uh, requests and questions recently, I think because 
pandemic parameters are kind of lifting in a way that people are starting to feel comfortable meeting small groups of people, um, which I do want to talk about like safety, obviously, like how does the pandemic still affect these events? But I want to talk about poly play parties. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess something we can start with is what is fundamentally different from a swinger party and maybe a more progressive poly play party or just something that the three of us would go to. (laughs) Yeah. That's honestly the reason that I started hosting my own is because of those differences. I was aware I I had heard of hotel takeovers. I had heard of, um, you know, different swinger events that were out there, but being a solo polyamorous man, um, my options were to either pay an upcharge, um, if that was even available, because a lot of times it, it wasn't the case, uh, to attend one of those things, or to uh, find and bring a partner, which felt very um, transactional. It felt like I was bringing a person to trade, and that didn't. That was immediately like a huge turnoff, just conceptually. So I was like, well. Uh, I was, I had heard of the things that you were doing and was like, that sounds a lot more, um, like up my alley. And have you ever been to a more traditional swinger event? I have not. No, no. Um, was not so that was kind of my entree into the, this world. Um, uh, after I got divorced, um, I was dating a lot and mm-hmm. pretty committed to not traditional monogamy. Um, and ended up uh, dating somebody, not seriously, but sort of maybe somewhat consistently, uh, who had a sort of similar view of like, no, no, we're doing this together because we have fun doing this together, but this is not, we are not on any kind of escalator. Um, And, you know, went on some fabulous adventures, uh, like the um, 15th Avenue bookstore in Chicago, um, which has some very, or at least a pre-pandemic had some very wild um, evenings, but you're absolutely right. Like they were geared towards making a lot of money off of single guys. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel transactional in my relationship of going there, but it was definitely not a polyamorous kind of dynamic it was not there was not a sense of uh every like they had very they were very strict in terms of like if you don't want to do something you say no and if they don't leave you alone we're kicking them out Mm -hmm. but the dynamic was still like i mean it was probably between 80 and 90 percent men yeah and oh wow that was you know, interesting and fun in its own way, but not something that, you know, you could, that for me, that I wanted to frequently engage with. Right. And there was definitely no expectation that you would ever see any of those people again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had a couple come up to me at, um, so we recently had the pegging book launch event, which was really fun and great. And also probably why there hasn't been a podcast in a minute. <laughs> but um, so we I had a couple come up to me and ask, um, because I had talked about briefly, um, like play parties and poly play parties, particularly. And I think they identified as swingers, and they might have been a little 
maybe on the defense like hey what's uh what's wrong with swinger parties like why do you yeah why do you have to like why is there a difference what's the difference in your mind and i was like well you know uh like you had said you know um oftentimes they aren't um welcoming of of single or or bi guys or queer guys mm-hmm. at all um they kind of it ends up being if you're a single woman you're almost like fetishized and used it feels like past almost like you're passed around like you're you're going to be the fresh meat of the group and that's really uncomfortable and then there's this like whole swapping culture that can feel like very transactional where you're if you're going to be playing with someone then your partner has to then play with like and then and then there's someone but your partner has to play with their partner with their partner yeah and almost yeah like so a lot of things just made me uncomfortable with the ideas of it, even if they weren't being practiced. And I have been to what I would kind of call traditional swinger parties, but they were still house parties. They weren't anything big. They weren't big hotel takeovers or anything, um, but have felt that like, oh, oh, if my husband is with them, I, oh, okay. So that's, that's happening now. Oh, I didn't. Right. I, okay. You know, I, and at the time, I think I was just kind of like, I guess this is what you do. This is how it how it works. Um, right. And or there's never... like a slight variation on that, which is, oh, okay, so you are a potentially bi woman. Um, you know, would you like an audience for mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, right. that's a little weird. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, you yeah. Know, again, like whatever floats your individual boat, if that's what you want to go do, go do it. But it might not be. And it's definitely not what everyone who might want to have queer sex is looking for. Yeah. Well, and I think a, a big difference with like, as opposed to that swapping kind of culture is oftentimes at a lot of play party events, people go and they already have multiple partners that are also going to the event. So they may only play with their established partners, but that could also be five people, you know, like up to five Mm -hmm. people that they're already established in some way, have some kind of connection with. So they could be playing with a ton of people, but none of them are strangers. None of them are new even. Um, And then there are people who who are functionally monogamous who go to poly play parties and just play with their primary partner because they would love an audience or because they are a voyeur or because they're an exhibitionist. So, um, so I think that the, yeah, that the, even the idea of sleeping with someone new isn't all that uh, prevalent in poly play parties, though. It's definitely an option. I would say that it's always an option and maybe the goal, depending on your goals. I don't like goal oriented parties, but you know, uh, sometimes when you see the guest list, you're like, yeah, you're like, Oh, okay. Um, Hi, That's someone I would like to talk uh, to. Yeah. Wondering if maybe. <laughs> yeah, I do think that that is ultimately you want to create connections, right? But, um, but it's definitely not something that I, I don't even think it's the norm for a lot of the parties that I've gone to. I think most people have sex with their partners, but, um, but I think it is a really good avenue for new sexual experiences with new or established partners um but i yeah, think that's I'd a big I mostly difference. have not had sex with established partners at play parties some yeah. but not i would say for me the norm is a little more the other direction maybe i'm coming at it from the host perspective where there were so many parties that i didn't have any sex at at all and mm-hmm. you know like because i was like in that right. mode of you know like just uh hosting i was trying to be available to everyone so 
Like that's, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's totally different experience though. And it, and that's something I want to talk about. Like if you're going to be planning on hosting a party, your, your experience is going to be different than your guests and you'd have to take that into consideration. And maybe that's not what you want. Maybe it's exactly what you want, uh, you know, but, but it is going to be different. Yeah. And what are your that. sort of ethical responsibilities as a host? Right. Mm-hmm. Because you're the one who knows most of these people. You've invited them. Each of them only knows a few other people. There's going to be a tendency, I think, for them to want to um, make a connection with the person who they know the best or, you know, whatever the case may be. So there's both you need to set your expectations of I'm going to be getting a lot of attention or requests or whatever and plan your time accordingly. So if you had intended to, like, maybe go have a quiet moment with uh, a particular partner or something you might be more busy than that and they you sh- they should be aware of it up front and also then that um you know to encourage people like in some cases I, and not to cross any ethical bounds or anything but like i've definitely been like hey did you notice that this person is coming they um these are somebody that you might be into they have this uh, particular kink that you guys could discuss and i know you share the same or whatever the case might be um mm-hmm. obviously sharing any information <laughs> you gotta be cautious about something like that and make sure it's something that's oh. uh within their comfort levels but in in some cases you can kind of point people at each other and play cupid that. a little bit yeah little. <laughs> yeah. yeah so just to define the difference between swinging and and poly play parties specifically like what what would your defi- definition of a, a swinger party be so i think um a swinger party is tends to be more um just heterosexually oriented in its like what we traditionally consider there's a lot of uh swapping as opposed to um individuals making connections with individuals people come as couples and then there's sort of a tendency for an expectation of well you know who who are you bringing to balance out the numbers because the men only want to play with the men and the women only want to play with or sorry the men only want to play with the women and the women only want to play with the men or vice versa um and it is certainly a lot more casual in that there may be a this might be the only time you see each other and then go separate ways as opposed to a poly play party in which there's a lot of people who are often bringing multiple partners and there's a community previously established that everybody's going to still be participating in after this. It's not, you know, nice to see you, uh, never see you again kind of thing. So you have ongoing concerns about the care of those people. And I think it, in addition to that, there just tends to be a lot more uh, queerness. So you've got bi people, you've got strictly gay people, you've got heterosexual people all mixed together, and it results in there being better math, for lack of a better word. That well, and non-binary people exist. Absolutely. You know, like so. There's so much that like you can't define it anymore as like, oh, well, are you going to be bringing more men or more women? And it's like, I don't know. Right. Maybe neither. Like. I'm going to bring a bunch of people who don't fit into your binary. (laughs) And the fun thing that I've found as a host is that the more um, somebody doesn't fit into those binaries, the easier, the better they are as a guest, right? The easier they are for me to want to invite them as a host, because there's going to be so many people and different kinds of interactions that they're going to participate in, as opposed to the strict binary that used to exist. Yeah. And I also think that for, there's a very different quality to the straight cis guys who are often in attendance at 
a swinger party versus at a poly play party. You're likely to have somebody at a poly play party who is comfortable around queerness, mm-hmm. who doesn't feel threatened by the existence of gay or bi men or non-binary people who may have a masculine appearance. Um, and that I think is much less true in the context of more of a traditional swinger community. Yeah. I would it, tend to agree. I think it tend um oftentimes it can feel very conservative. Like the the parties and the people. Um I know I in gosh, this was like 2017, went to a party and found out there were like Trump supporters there. And I was like, well, forever unclean. I'm never coming here again. Like <laughs> I uh-huh. can't do this. Like there's a lot of um uh, cognitive dissonance between the the people who can attend a sex party and 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 something that I feel is very like liberating and uh, and and inherently queer and feminist and then in their normal everyday life uh, act against all of those like values. Um, so that is very concerning and strange to me but um but it happens a lot in the traditional swinger community so i I, at least i've noticed it a lot in the community so uh that is something that i find so strange uh but um it's a phenomenon that's out there i had to pop back on video for that because i was like "Uh, uh, uh." (laughs) (laughs) and even though the uh listeners can't see my head bobbing up and down um i just couldn't not have this conversation where i could see the two of you reacting and you couldn't see my reacting um because i think you really have to kind of put blinders on and be like okay i'm gonna just pretend that all these people share my values because otherwise it's gonna be too uncomfortable and you know that's a mental state that is for me most comfortable right i think i've seen it both in non-monogamy and in uh party situations that there's people there are people who think this is a bad thing and i'm a person that does bad things and so this is where i belong as opposed to this is an okay thing this is a good thing and a healthy thing and i make good healthy choices and we're going to do this in a good healthy way and i am that kind of person and i think that's the difference Wow. Yeah. I guess I never thought about someone going to a party because they felt bad about themselves. Oh, that's such a mind fuck because it's such, because for me, sex positivity and like these parties are so positive and are so loving. So that's wild to me. Uh, But I I think it kind of segues right into the next uh, topic I wanted to go into when it comes to like some parties and their assumed blanket consent as if going to the party means you're consenting to being touched and um or played with or or whatever um and i do see a little bit more of that in uh traditional swinging spaces that like going is giving consent to something and then you have to say no if you're uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh and um i don't see that as often though i'm sure it po- i'm sure it happens 100% i'm sure it happens um in progressive poly play spaces because consent is like the focus like safe uh, and healthy communication open honesty <laughs> is like um the some of the main tenets of polyamory so i think that that those play into play party situations really strongly um but yeah i don't know if you guys have any experience with like consent being uh more or less important in different play spaces for sure like 
sometime not that long before the pandemic, maybe 2017 or 2018, I went to a swinging oriented bar takeover party. And um, the person that I went with, uh, we both, this woman came up and, you know, basically grabbed my ass and stuck her tongue down my throat. And then, you know, turned around and like started unzipping my dress and grabbing my partner's cock and like at a bar like oh Oh, gosh (laughs) (laughs) hi my name is yeah (laughs) like like right we don't necessarily have to have a long consent conversation and get to know each other well before things start to go in this direction like we understand the context of where we are but i would like at least to know your first name and sort of check in and see if we're into each other before we just assume that grabbing intimate body parts is totally fine. Yeah. And I think with a lot of like progressive play party spaces, I've, I have felt almost like the party welcome circle is a mini consent workshop in and of itself, which has been really lovely and fun. And sometimes there's even like little icebreaker games where you're like, asking questions of people and you have to say no. And, you know, like you have to, you have to practice your no before even going into um, the party. Um, and I think that that's less important if it's all just like your friends that are just like people who are really well, they, they know each other really well already. But I think if there's any level of people who are new or, you know, like people bringing in partners who other folks don't know, it's such a good, um, practice to just kind of like talk about consent even just like bringing it up putting it in the front of people's minds before a play party situation so that they know that maybe it's good to um introduce yourselves first (laughs) it's good to uh maybe talk about like sexual safety stis when the last time you're tested your little elevator speech of of uh you know good practices and um and and then just being careful what people are there Yeah, because some people might be like, yes, I want to have all of the things with all of the people, but -hmm. other people really are not there for necessarily that. Like I might just want to watch or Mm -hmm. I might, like you said earlier, want to just play with established partners, but I might be totally fine with you watching, you know, or whatever other thing, like give people a chance to say what they hope might happen over the course of the evening. Yeah. So, um, And like I said earlier, I had done some research before I started hosting my own parties because um, I really felt it was important to do it right, that this was, you know, high energy, high emotional stuff that we were dealing with and that it needed to be done right. Uh, And that we needed to make sure that if we were going to create this space, that it was protective and, you know, welcoming and nurturing for the people who were going to be there. So I listened to your episodes on play parties. Um, I think some other resources too, but that was the primary um, place. The the I ended up co-hosting with two friends. One who had the property that he happened to have purchased this very large, you know, Victorian house. Didn't have anybody else in it, and was like, "We would. This is a perfect space. We'd like to be using it." Our friend who kind of connected the two of us and provided a lot of emotional intelligence, and then uh, myself who just knew a lot of people who wanted to be uh, attending this kind of thing. And so we came up with kind of a plan because we were based on the space. We said we could do way more people, right? This isn't necessarily something that we just will have a little living room circle um, 
to have everybody sit down together. This could be like 30 and eventually it was 40 people um, at these parties. And uh, it was also an, an interesting blend because some of those folks um, who were friends of the other co-hosts uh, were coming from more of a kink background or more of a uh, swinging background and, and had not been to a, a play party before. So we were kind of able to bring in both their interests and also reset their expectations. But because we knew that with 30 people, there's just not enough time to go around a circle and have every single person you know, speak to that. Um, what we did was we created a welcome document that's about looking at it right now, four or five pages that kind of goes through, here's our space, these are our rules, um, this is what you can expect, and reviews consent at that point, um, because we wanted to give people time to sit and think on it. There's even like a little consent game that we wrote in there that you can play with your partner. Um, and then review it again as soon as, every, like when everyone comes in, we still expect you to be there at a particular time so that we can all stand in one room together, look at each other, um, talk about, you know, maybe is a no, maybe later is a no, these and why you need to uh, be mindful that the, the more respectful you are of somebody else's no, the more you're giving them that uh, kind of mental permission to tell you no, so that they're actually only agreeing to the things they want, because we're all friends here and you want to make sure that everyone else has left doing what they wanted to. So between those two things, we we even with a larger format i feel had done a pretty good job of addressing consent and uh have not had any issues um in that format so i'm very i think so far it's been successful um i'm sure part of that's who we're choosing to invite to yeah and that's something that setting the expectations is a part of it's so huge yeah such a big important part um which i like welcome circles for that but i like the idea of having you know like a document or a google doc or a, a group that you guys can all chat and talk in to kind of establish those expectations beforehand too i think that's really important um but something that you had mentioned that i kind of wanted to talk about that um it's it feels like an oxymoron but are mm. are the parties that i think we all want to host want to we want to be inclusive but as inclusive as an exclusive party can be, <laughs> because right. the more people you invite, the more potential there is for predators, for people who are not safe, for people who will push boundaries, who people who don't respect consent. And so there's this level of this like tightrope who we have to walk on, you know, but for inviting people where we really want it to be as safe of a space as possible while also inviting as many diverse people as possible and yeah. how and that's so rough it can be so hard like have you had any issues navigating that or do, do you have a mentality about it that um you know you go by so um i i really took some of your advice from a previous podcast about invite people even if you don't know that they're kinky or you know swinging necessarily right like this is something that Lots of people are potentially interested and don't, um, I didn't ever want to make someone uncomfortable if they, I knew like, all right, they're way outside of that. Um, this is something that would freak them out just conceptually. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, what I kind of was looking for when I was inviting people because, so we have a, um, online community through Facebook that has a number of poly people in it around the state. And so it was relatively easy to meet people through there, even if I hadn't necessarily met them in person, but to be able to say, you know, I've seen their interactions. I know the people that they're seeing, 
this is somebody that um, at least we've got a pretty good sense is um, both respectful and consensual. And uh, we maintain, we, we did a hard job of maintaining those consensual rules within that kind of Facebook community, usually around messaging, right? About like not um, just jumping into the group and sending everybody a message to say, hey, do you want to go out sometime? Um, and by keeping that, um, keeping that hard line at the front door, so to speak, like we knew that, all right, the people in here are at least already following simple consent rules. Uh, we can be maybe be a little bit more trusting than them with them than the general community. And um, <clears throat> so we, uh, I guess the other thing about inviting folks is when something goes wrong and I feel uh, there's only really been one time that it did, that it was really important, even though, um, this was a person who was really well connected in other spaces and um you know personally connected to me through partners um that there just was no there was no question right um this person had broken our rules they had um crossed other people's consent boundaries they had made people feel uncomfortable um and we just had to say oh, i'm sorry that you're not able to come back anymore and so between expecting people to follow the simple rules and then not overlooking or just saying, oh, it's a small thing, right? Uh, if somebody's, if somebody leaves a play party feeling bad because of something someone else did to them, that that person doesn't get to come back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are, I guess, I, I don't think I've had to deal with it too much, but just uh, organizing a, a group, you know, I do have to deal with it a lot of like navigating you know, what is a bannable offense? What is a, we need to have a conversation. What is a, an obvious misunderstanding and we mm -hmm. just need, and people need to talk about it, you know, and that kind of thing. And it is, it's so rough. So I think, you know, advice wise to people who want to host parties and, and have spaces like this is just, you're going to have to communicate a lot to a lot of people. And sometimes things are hard and rough and weird and awkward. And, and that is just, it goes with the territory of, of creating a safer space, um, which yeah, it's, it is rough, but I think that it's ultimately really worth it because the safer the space you create, the more fun and the more like you can relax into it. So it can yeah. be very stressful uh, out, outside of that space <laughs> or getting it ready. Um, but yeah, it is very rewarding when once you've established it. Yeah. yeah one of my co-hosts says, you know, it'll be the week beforehand and she will be like, oh, I'm so stressed. This is so much work. Sometimes I question why we even do these things. And then we get to the party mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the experience of the space is so rewarding seeing, you know, people who, you just know are not super comfortable in their bodies getting more comfortable over the course of the party because they see other people being comfortable in their bodies they see you know somebody being more flirtatious and playful and that it's a it's an energy and like an environment that doesn't exist anywhere else and it's so worth building even though yeah sometimes you're like this is so much work yeah but then you just take a break yeah. Yeah. Although it feels like when you're at that party, you're like, I want to do this every night. And then you're like, no, I can't. <laughs> this is every the, the week before the day before whatever you feel so stressed out. And then, yeah, the day of you're like, this is the best thing ever. We need to do this all the time. Right. Uh, I feel the same way about burlesque again. shows. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, the going up to a burlesque show is the worst. And then like the endorphins you get from being like on stage and doing all the beautiful stuff. I mean, theater folks, they know it. It's it's 
so uplifting and so energizing and you have so much adrenaline that you're like, I'm going to do this every day of my life. And that's <laughs> like, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> that is yeah. not stable. <laughs> I, I think, think that- Eric you really pointed to something um, that I want to kind of highlight, which is the energy of the space can be so healing for people. Oh yeah. You know? And especially if you are somebody who maybe doesn't have a, physical presence that aligns to traditional beauty norms, um, like it, experiencing being in that space, experiencing being desired by people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that there's a way to communicate how powerful that is yeah. without people experiencing it. One of our uh, one of my favorite parties that we did in that space, uh, it was around 40 people and we decided to do an art night. We said, just, we're going to have, we're going to cross over the sexuality and art elements. And how can we do that? We usually do a theme of some kind, right? Um, so what we decided was we wanted to do nude drawings. So people volunteered to be the nude model and uh, everyone was super excited to bring their supplies, their papers and pencils and paints and draw. Um, and we had had a few folks who had gone through some art training. So they were new enough to kind of instruct people about, all right, we're going to do five minute poses. We're going to try this, try that, or five minute. That's like a very long pose. We're going to start with short poses, warm up mm-hmm. the arms and then, you know, progressively do longer. And it was a really great time. We also did some neon paints and other fun things, but, um, there was a, a person who came and was not very comfortable in their body to the point where they said, you know, I want to do this because I feel like it's going to push myself and I am ready for that level, but I don't want to see any of the products. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see any of the drawings and, and because they knew how sometimes reactive they got to seeing their own pictures. Um, but after doing it, they felt really good. Everybody was very supportive about it and decided to take a look at one of the drawings, one of the people who was the most talented drawing, mm-hmm. uh, or drawer of the group. And just loved it like ended up getting it framed put it on their wall felt so so great about how they looked in that moment and i think it was a really healing time for them that's awesome and i love that theme that's such a fun theme i love party themes in general and i love having uh party themes for for um like poly play parties but that's mm. one that I haven't done. And that sounds really cool. The body painting potential is also really fun. Um, I can yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah, that's neon, super fun. Yeah. <laughs> neon body paints and UV lights with a uh, mirror in that room. Um, that was a little tricky. There was one, uh, there was a bit of a conflict because taking pictures of yourself also meant taking pictures of the room and somebody was in the background at one point. So, you know, camera use had been discussed and uh, it was still there was a minor sticking point there, but it was fair it was with, with art. You, you do want to sometimes, uh, yeah, immortalize it in a picture, but yeah, just gotta be right. careful. Um, I do think that it's, it's interesting talking to folks because most of the people I've talked to when it comes to swinging parties and play parties, poly play parties are from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And maybe we have, uh, the average body shape is different than the rest of the world. Maybe, I don't know, but I feel like we skew to be more curvy as folks go. And I do think that there's like this body positivity in the movement that I have been in, uh, that is very curve friendly. (laughs) And I don't know that I see that in the greater swinging community as much. Um, especially when it comes to like promoting events, um, 
you know, things that are, are, you know, distributed as like flyers and stuff for events. Oftentimes they're very, almost always very thin white women. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have, I have thought about the fact that like the parties that I've gone to that have been play parties with uh, queer progressive poly play parties are um, very welcoming to all body shape sizes and, and yeah, and I I don't know I I don't know if that is something that's particular to our community or if it's getting better in swinging communities. But I just uh, I it's something that I've really loved and found really amazing that um, like that that body positivity is really prevalent in the community. Yeah, in fact, I I've found that the most the best energy that I've ever had at parties were the ones where you know the the body shapes and sizes were the most diverse um Mm -hmm. and that the more things trended towards um you know everyone everyone's here super super attractive right that it only made everyone that much more comparative because they were like well um obviously i I think there's a tendency to be like well who here is the least attractive or something you know all those negative self-talk things that it's so easy to get into but the more diverse the more it is clear that we're not comparing we don't need to compare ourselves my body is not anything like anybody else's body and the way that my you know legs connect to my torso or whatever those um are just going to be different uh different is different it's good it's all good Mm -hmm. yeah in creating and hosting a space, uh, do you have any advice when it comes to supplies that are needed? Oftentimes, I think people kind of jump into play parties and hosting and stuff, and then they're like, oh, crap, I don't have anything. Is there anything that you think that you know, like you should have? Equipment, supplies, something to invest in? Um, I mean, I can tell you what I have. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that is, so at this point, I own a dozen pairs of queen-size sheets, maybe more. Um, Maybe 15. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, because you have a few beds, you want to be able to rotate them between people. Like you just have a bunch. And so I have a um, travel bag that I like a a grocery store reusable bag full of sheets at this point that comes home with me and gets washed every time in between. And I, so as I was saying, uh, some of our first parties were an intersection of kink space and poly space so um what those folks were used to was a bit more of a dungeon type experience and they had a spanking bench they had a cross they had uh, a swing that they wanted to put up um and it was it was really fun to see a lot of poly people who had not maybe done as much kink stuff be like oh there's a cross what we can play with that space that's really fun um so having those things is is complicated sex furniture in general is expensive and difficult to build um but what wasn't ter- so then as we moved spaces somewhat recently um and as we were getting the new space ready it was like well are we going to build all new furniture or how are we going to do this um so you can go to home depot and you can get a porch swing mounting kit that is ready to go out of the box it is relatively easy to install i did it myself just be careful about where you put it um and holds the weight of a person either for cuffs which mimics then um what you would get on a cross as long as you've got some little chains to hang down and it's also a nice sound um or to mount a swing to and uh so check out the porch swing mounting kits uh we wanted to make sure there's a garbage can in every room a 
big bowl of condoms, of course, is always a good idea. Um, although I've never found that anybody uh, really wanted to use them because everybody was always bringing their own, like their favorite kind or whatever. Um, and then wipes, just always having those make sure that they're available. I, don't know I would also add um, splash pads mm. or whatever other sort of absorbent um, protective coverings for yeah. furniture or the floor you might want not yeah. everyone needs them but some people really need them absolutely <laughs> yeah something like i think some people call them chucks i think that's what like maybe mm. a nursing term but puppy pads also i've heard you know <laughs> bringing that kind of thing um obviously like there are more expensive versions of waterproof blankets liberator you know fascinator yeah. throw and stuff like that that are a little bit more of an investment but and i often tell people to bring their own if they if they do need that but uh it's also nice to have the really easy disposable ones in case yeah you got a squirter on your hands you know you never know (laughs) the other thing that i found uh we really valued in both spaces although it was kind of a nice to have instead of a need to have was um appropriate lighting because usually we're lighting our rooms to not necessarily have a sexy scene in them and having a slightly dim like environment generally really adds to the ambiance and gets everybody excited about things um and bluetooth speakers to make sure that you're getting the sound that you want to play through the whole house because um quiet is nice sometimes but um not having that background noise just doesn't uh i think people get too much up in their heads yeah yeah creating an atmosphere is so important sexy atmosphere Mm -hmm. yeah and Um, having some space that is generally not play space like the kitchen is usually yeah. Oh, yeah. you know let's have some snacks we keep, we're wisconsinites we need a nice cheese board <laughs> yeah a non non-play space is really important i think also just for uh the you know mental exhaustion to kind of step away and step out of the the space somewhere totally and lots of water uh, available at our last party we had uh we always make sure there's a non-play space of course but there was a really nice opportunity with this person's um kind of a, a plant room that had Ooh. windows all around two sides, but also like a decent amount of trees outside. So you couldn't just see directly in from the neighbors. Um, and so it, ha- and it had little French doors that closed off to the rest of the house. So you could go in there. Uh, it was, it was an optional play space because it was quiet. You could kind of get away. It was a good space to like sit and look up at the moon. Um, but also, like really sexy so that people did end up playing in there and just like uh said if you need a minute this is the place you can go nice yeah a relaxing room that's cool yeah so as we kind of wrap up here because we've been talking for over an hour but uh like i did want to talk about how do folks find their people how do you know like if you want to host or if you want to be invited to a party what are some good methods for finding people that would be hosting parties like this wow i mean so my answer would be um host your own yeah that's mine do it yourself uh, yeah (laughs) i don't know how to find another host and the reason that i host now is because i didn't find one um Mm -hmm. and that was also pandemic situation like it was uh there was a lot going on at that time that like uh prevented that but um you know it's even if we're just talking about six, eight people, like it might seem uh, uh, daunting, but it's totally worth it. Um, 
build that space and invite those people yourself. And maybe you don't have the space, maybe your apartment or your house or whatever doesn't work for it. But if you know the people that you would invite, I bet one of them does um, and would be willing to do that for a night. So uh, I I do know that there are connections on FetLife uh, that people will make. And that's a little bit more towards the traditional swinger, but I think any of those places that can be used to communicate um, with other poly people, with other adult people about those topics, if you said, this is the kind of space we're trying to generate, that that would generally be respected. Um, the harder part, of course, is finding the people who are going to um, follow your rules, obey your, or use your consent boundaries, right? Um, take those, uh, really create that safe space through the people being safe themselves. Yeah, and it could I, take a while. I, I want to kind of add, like, obviously, create your own is the most direct and clear answer. Yeah. But there are people who aren't going to do that. I know. Yeah. And most people folks, would not, actually. I would say right. most people are not going yeah. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, you know, if you're part of a poly community, like, start letting your partners know that that's something you'd like to do. Start letting your friends and people that you trust know that that's something that you'd like to do. And if you can kind of get yourself on the radar mm -hmm. for these kinds of things, your chances are going to be improved, but it requires kind of putting yourself out there a little bit. Like if you keep to yourself and don't share yourself in that slightly vulnerable way, mm. probably you're not going to occur to people as someone who might be interested. And it's not, sure. you know, out of any judgment of you. It's just really like they, they don't seem like they would want to do this. So I'm less likely to invite them. Yeah. Right. And I think also I'm going to be less likely to invite somebody that I don't know well at all. So if you, if you are vulnerable and say, well, I'm interested, but I don't know who you are. I don't know if I can trust you in that space. So also just, you know, share yourself normal or in, not normally, but share yourself um, in other ways. Make sure that people know who you are, that you are somebody that is going to follow those rules and be respectful and consensual and body positive and feminist and all the things you want uh, that you want in a guest. I think that's a really great point because, yeah. you know, it's also, it's a similar how do I find people to date kind of question. Mm -hmm. Like if you are active in the community and are a person who people know and trust and like, you're going to have an easier time finding people to date. You're going to have an easier time getting invited to parties of any kind, whether they're play parties or just gatherings of social humans, mm -hmm. like all those things, the more you are willing to let yourself be known and be a person who, you know, people develop a fondness and a respect for, the better your chances on all these things are going to be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go here, I do want to, I do want to mention like safety when it comes to the pandemic, because yeah. all of this has been happening. I mean, I actually stopped hosting parties entirely. Our last one being right before the pandemic shut down everything. Um, and so uh, it has been kind of tough thinking about this being um, completely safe for everyone and all of their needs. Uh, yeah. But in this pre-post-pandemic world, because it's still going, 
<laughs> but we're so close, right? Evolving. Yeah. The yes, the the evolving Merging. nature of this pandemic reality. Um, what are some things that you have done to make safe spaces uh, in in that in that regard? Yeah, I mean, initially we needed to be very clear that you needed to both be vaccinated and boosted. If you were going to attend, uh, we asked for people to be cognizant about symptoms. Um, as time has gone, that that concern, or I'm hearing that concern significantly less. Um, you know, initially that was something that uh, if it wasn't clear that the space was going to be safe, people were immediately out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is reducing, but it's still important. Um, yeah. And uh i i haven't heard it in a while and i suspect that's just because of generally people becoming more complacent about it or uh exhaustion from <laughs> two years three years of three almost three yeah yeah, yeah i think the that, that i've been to since which is not <laughs> a lot um have definitely asked for people to um, you know, post or share or text a this morning I took a COVID test and it was negative. Yeah. Um, and to affirm that they were vaccinated or boosted, um, you know, and sort of all those kinds of they're not perfect, but they're at least indicators of trying to be safe and trying to protect the people around you. Yeah. And from yeah, in my experiences, they've been relatively effective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but I think all you can do is try to be careful and ask people to hold themselves and each other accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think that now that rapid tests are so like easily accessible to folks, it's it's a lot easier to ask that and not feel even weird about being like, hey, could you please just get tested real quick? <laughs> could you, you know, use one of your free uh, tests from the government or whatever, if you still have any, um, because right. it is it it is often pretty easy to get your hands on on a test at the very least. And and it's just like and it's such a small, pretty non-invasive thing to do to kind of ensure at least on like a 75% accuracy um, uh, way that, that people are going to be safe and that uh, you care, even just that you care yeah. about your fellow uh, party goers. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a really good thing to, to not even just ask, like to expect of everyone in the group to like, at the very least get tested. If you have any kind of symptoms whatsoever, if you're feeling in any way ill, even if it's the flu, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you right. know, like even if it's not COVID, please stay home. Uh, yeah, because it is it is often parties are a lot of people in a warm room <laughs> talking close to one another, even if they're not having sex, even if they're not sharing bodily fluids, they're still in each other's space and moisture in the air. <laughs> so, right. you know, and even you, if, be you know, everybody isn't kissing everybody else. Some yeah. people are kissing each other and those right. people are kissing each other. And, you know, most people don't go in there and only kiss their established partners, yeah. though some people might. And they're yeah. all breathing, you know, so yeah. <laughs> they're all breathing the same air. So, yeah, you, you do have to be conscious. But I do think there are ways of, of going about it very safely and carefully. Um, and and then just knowing, you know, maybe asking if people do need anything extra, like are, is someone going to be immune compromised that's attending the party and do they need anything else? You know, uh, asking folks what they might need uh, is probably going to also add to a level of safety and feeling comfortable in the party. 
Right. Like maybe you say, okay, I'm going to hit up all of my friends who I think might have air filters at home and we'll run those, you know, (laughs) starting the afternoon of the party. So the air is as clean as we can get it. And we'll make sure that those keep running through the party. Like there are things you can do to continue to try to mitigate the risks. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice if there were like outdoor spaces, (laughs) but that's not something I don't think that might be a bit much, but, um, but yeah, one day, you know, outdoor play spaces, that'd be fun. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure November. No, 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 (laughs) not in Wisconsin. No, (laughs) I mean, we've had some erratically beautiful days, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not willing to rely on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think the reminder about symptoms is the big thing because Mm -hmm. people so want to go back to the pre-pandemic mentality of, ah, it's just a cold. I can go to the thing. It doesn't have to disrupt me. I don't have to cancel, right? Like all those times we had to cancel during the pandemic because you really couldn't. Um, And now people are sick of canceling for what could just be a flu, but like you should, you know, and to remind them that and ask them that isn't uh, too much to ask. Please do not share your sickness with us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your germs at home, please. Mm. Um, All right, cool. Yeah. So I feel like we've gone over a lot of stuff. Do you have any advice for folks if they want to host their own party? Mm. Um, Then you should. Then my advice is that if you want to host a play (laughs) party, that you should. And that even though it is challenging and work and puts you out there and can be an emotional, you know, journey through the whole thing, uh, do it because you... Uh, you don't get to uh, too much time, right, in the world. So if you feel that inclination, go for it. Hell yeah. That's a great thing to end on. Yeah, do it. Do it. Go for it. (laughs) You're on Earth so long. Yeah. Yeah. We all learned that during this three-year period. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It totally was. It absolutely was. All right. Here's to more play parties. Yeah. Please host parties. Invite us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for agreeing to be interviewed. It was super fun. It was. It's always always fun to talk about play parties. (laughs) Have a good Sunday. You too. Take care. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.